From the studios of EWTN, this is Open Line with today's host, Father John Tregilio. In North America, call toll-free 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985 or send an email to openline at EWTN.com. Father Tregilio, wake up. Wake up. (laughs) I know you had a lot of turkey, but wake up. I didn't get that much turkey. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah, you were saying you had a very disappointing turkey experience. But there was a nice wine pairing, so that made up for it. There you go. Very good. Welcome to EWTN's Open Line Wednesday. Uh, you have audio evidence that Father John Tregilio has survived the Thanksgiving holiday, and he is back in living color if you're watching us on YouTube or Facebook Live. And we would like for you to be part of the program. Uh, The number to be on the program is 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. If you are outside the United States and Canada, your number is 1-205-271-2985. And uh, we will even put you straight to the front of the line at 1-205-271-2985. Two nine eight five. Um, I'm Jack Williams. Michael McCall producing the program. Your call screener is Matt Gubensky and Jeff Burson handling our social media efforts. So if you're watching us on YouTube or Facebook Live, you can type a question into the chat window, and it may find its way to us by the end of the program. And our host, as he is every Monday, Father John Tregilio, you survived. Uh, the the tiny piece of turkey that was offered you, <laughs> uh, but the wine made up for it, so everything is good there. Uh, other than that, nice visit with Father Briganti. Oh, very nice, very nice. We uh, had some fun. Uh, we went to this nice shri- uh, mi- uh, minor basilica um, north of Columbus, uh, Our Lady of Consolation, a beautiful, beautiful shrine. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. We have an email from Christopher. He said, is it a mortal or venial sin to watch a film where someone takes the Lord's name in vain? Well, if um, if your purpose is to see that, yes, that would be a, because that would be formal cooperation in evil. It would be uh, remote material cooperation and would it would only be sinful if you weren't scandalized by it uh unfortunately you can't almost you can't avoid uh even g movies now have have that in there but uh you know it, it's good if we could um let hollywood know that we don't approve of this uh unfortunately some people are more offended by vulgarity four letter words than blasphemy and uh it's, it should be the other way around so, uh, you know, if we don't watch those movies, if we write to, uh, all, you know, the producers and um, the advertisers, especially if it's on TV or something like that, uh, but for it to be a, a grave sin, you have to intend and want to hear that kind of stuff. 833-288-EWTN. That's our toll-free number. It's a free phone call anywhere in North America. 833-288-3986. Um, here's an interesting question, Father. Gary would like to know, has any pope ever died while attempting to introduce error into the church, <laughs> thus preventing papal infallibility? 
Uh, well, you know, I don't know if that would be the reason why uh, the Pope would want to do that, but that's definitely one way the Holy Spirit could uh, invoke papal fallibility. Cause Preserve pap- the deposit of faith. <laughs> yes, because, you know, one way the Pope could do that, I mean, the Holy Spirit could do that, is have the Pope die before he uh, makes an erroneous, and it would have to be a public st- a pronouncement that the Pope intends and manifests that he intends this be binding and conscious on all Catholics on faith and morals. And that would be an ex-Cathedra statement. So uh, a less dramatic way would be to have the uh, Pope uh, have a temporary memory loss. Uh, he could have, God forbid, a stroke. Um, or he could change his mind. Um, but infallibility merely means that the Holy Spirit prevents him from imposing an erroneous teaching uh, upon uh, the, the faithful. It doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit inspires him because the only people inspired are the sacred authors of Scripture. Again, 833-288-EWTN. That's our toll-free number on this first Open Line Wednesday of the Advent season, 833-288-3986. Here's another one I haven't really pondered, at least not in the way that it's stated. Cindy says, is it possible for God to not love us? Is he capable of that? Well, uh, it would it would violate reason because he created us out of love and he loves us because we're made in his image and likeness. So there's really no way that for God not to love us. That doesn't mean he loves what we do. Uh, he, he loves, uh, he loved Adam and Eve, but he didn't love their sin. He loved the angels, including Lucifer and the one third who went bad and became demons, but he didn't love what they, their, their sins. So God uh, will always love us because he, he's the one who created us. It's just that his love is not something that's superfluous. That doesn't. It's like, well, you could do whatever you want. It's like the woman caught in adultery. You know, he, he said, go and sin no more. Got a big feast coming up here in about a week and a half or so. Arnold wants to know, what does it mean for Mary that she was free from original sin? Well, this is a very good question because many people get this confused. This is not about... Jesus being conceived in his mother's womb. And we're talking, of course, about the Immaculate Conception. Yes, the Immaculate Conception was was when Mary was conceived in her mother's womb, St. Anne. And uh, because nine months after the Immaculate Conception, we have the Nativity of of Our Lady. So the Immaculate Conception means that Mary was, was preserved by a special grace that came from God. Jesus applied to his mother what he would do chronologically in her timeline in her future, would retroactively apply it. So Mary did not get this on her own. It was given to her uh, by God so that she could give Jesus an untainted human, uh, untainted human nature. And we know this because the angel Gabriel in Luke's Gospel addresses her as hail full of grace, gratia plena in Latin or que corita mene in Greek. And to be full means there's no room for anything else. So if Mary is full of grace at the moment the angel is addressing her. That means there was no room for sin. So she was preserved from this from the very uh, beginning of her existence. 833-288-EWTN. Still two lines open for you if you want to give us a call. The number is 833-288-3986. Bethany writes in, When Christ institutes the sacrament of penance, what does it mean when he says, whoever's sins you retain, they are retained? 
Well, what it means is that some people, if someone goes into confession, into the confessional, and says, "I'm not sorry," and this is, it would sound almost absurd, but it's least theoretically possible. Someone could come in and say, "I'm committing adultery, but I have no remorse. I, I am not sorry for it." Well, then the priest cannot absolve them from their sins, and they are not absolved if there is no contrition. There must be sorrow. There must be a firm purpose of amendment. Um, it, fortunately, it doesn't happen uh, a lot, but it, it can happen. So uh, the, the unlocking of sins and the retaining of sins, the keys, as we say, are given to the priest uh, when he is ordained, and then the, the bishop gives him faculties to exercise those. Did you tell me once that your mother was Polish? Yes, she was 100% Polish, just like my dad was 100% Sicilian. Well, good. Then you're qualified to answer this question. Uh-oh. Stan writes in, can you explain the Divine Mercy Chaplet to me? Yes, this was given uh, to St. Faustina uh, by our Lord Jesus Christ. And the Divine Mercy Chaplet, basically you used the same rosary that we use, the rosary that was given to us uh, through St. Dominic. And instead of praying... Uh, the Hail Marys, Our Fathers, and Glory Bees that we typically say on the the Dominican Rosary. Uh, there's other prayers that we say, for the sake of his sorrowful passion, have mercy on us and on the whole world. It goes a little bit qu- more quickly unless you chant it like we show on, on EWTN. Uh, but again, it's a means uh, to an end. It helps the person meditate on the fact that we are dependent and we are so grateful for divine mercy and given to us by our lord through saint faustina yes saint our lord jesus gave saint faustina that wonderful sacramental as well as the image that we see of jesus with the two rays of light coming from his sacred heart the white representing the waters of baptism and the red uh, his precious blood in the holy eucharist and it is indeed a beautiful image 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. It's a free phone call anywhere in North America. 833-288-3986. You can always send us an email. That email address is openline at EWTN.com. It's Open Line Wednesday with Father John Tregilio. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. If you have a question, call 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985. Or send us an email to openline at EWTN.com. EWTN offers the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass from Our Lady of the Angels Chapel live every single morning at 8 a.m. Eastern Time right after the Sunrise Morning Show. Don't miss out, and we can even send you a link to your email inbox every day. Visit EWTN.com and click on subscribe. First up today is Barb in the great state of Illinois listening on WSFI Radio. Barb, you are on with Father John Tregilio. Hello, Father. How are you? Fine, how are you? Thanks for calling. I've got a dilemma. <laughs> okay. 
and it is this. I've gotten mixed opinions on the advent color of the candles, which I got a set of them, the rose and the three purple last year from EWTN. However, on the box it doesn't say, so I've got mixed opinions, and it's like a 50-50 between EWTN and other people. The third, the rose either goes in the third position or the fourth position. Can you tell me, and can you tell me the purpose of the purple? Okay. Well, um, where you position it in the wreath is not as important as the fact that you have three purple ones or, or violet candles and one rose candle for Gaudete Sunday. The point is that you light the, the rose candle, the pink candle, on the third Sunday of Advent. So it's when you light it as opposed to where it's positioned because some because it's a wreath, it can spin around. And some people will put, um, like when I was a pastor uh, in Marysville and Duncannon, Pennsylvania, um, I would spin it every week so that people could see the rose candle when it's lit. And then when it was uh, the first and second Sunday of Advent, I had it in the back. But you don't have to do that. You can leave it anywhere you want. The point is that you light one purple candle for the first Sunday of Advent, two purple candles for the second, three for um, uh, the third. Uh-uh, because, two, uh, two purple candles for the third. Two purple candles and the rose candle for the third. Two purple candles and the rose, yes. And then on the fourth Sunday, it, you light them all, okay? Um, so it's not really important where they're located as opposed to when they're lit. Does that help, Barb? Yeah, what's the the uh, distinction with the rose? What does that okay. represent, the rose one? Okay, it represents joy because Gaudete means joy, and we're joyful that Advent is coming to a close and and Christmas will soon be there. So if you take the color purple and add a little white to it, it becomes the color rose or pink. So that's the idea that you're, we're bringing in a little joy on that um, on that third Sunday of, of Advent. And uh, it comes from the, uh, the 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 mass itself, uh, Gaudete and, and Domino. Rejoice in the Lord. Thank you, Barb. We appreciate the phone call today. Eight three three two eight eight E W T N. That's eight three three two eight eight three nine eight six. And it was brought to my attention that I identified our program today as Open Line Wednesday about six times in the first segment, and it's it's Open Line Monday. I'm a little. I had a cold. We had a little time warp there. Kind of a big time warp, but thanks for the <laughs> thanks for the consolation. <laughs> um, next up is John in Kansas City, Missouri, listening on Catholic Radio Network. John, you're on with Father John Tregilio. Hey, Father, I got a question about Christmas. Okay. Okay, so I'm witnessing talking to a dear friend. He's not Catholic. He has not celebrated Christmas for like 50, 60 years. He tells me that uh, it was a Catholic uh, feast uh, celebration replacing a pagan holiday. He says it's not in the Bible. You can't prove that Jesus was born on December 25th. I've looked at the Internet stuff, and I, I hear bits and pieces about trying to tie it in with when Mary went to, uh, you know, visitation uh, of John the Baptist, and she was... Uh, six months pregnant, and 
I just don't know where to go with this. I would like to help uh, him understand mm-hmm. uh, the beauty of the season, but I don't know what uh, what do you tell people like that? What do you tell your priest? How do you handle uh, someone who says that? Well, you're, you're never going to argue them uh, into believing because faith uh, is something that is separate from um, reason, but it's never contradict uh, doesn't contradict reason. Uh, we it's true we do not have a birth certificate for Jesus saying he was born on December the twenty fifth. Uh, we have no uh, birthday cards that his that the apostles left him uh, saying happy birthday on December the twenty fifth. But it is the ancient custom of the church because uh, the, the feast of his um, incarnation, the Annunciation. Uh, goes back to antiquity on on March 25th, uh, the day that the angel announced to Mary that she was going to be the mother of God. That's the day we believe that Jesus was conceived in his mother's womb, and nine months later would be December 25th. And St. Augustine also said that uh, this would make sense because in the Northern Hemisphere, uh, we have the shortest day of the year is in December, around the 20th, 21st, and the longest day of the year is in June, around June 20th or 21st. And John the Baptist said, I must decrease so he can increase. So John the Baptist's birthday celebrated in June when you go from the longest day to the short, and then he starts to decrease. And then the birth of Christ, the amount of daylight begins to increase. So St. Augustine said that would make a perfect way of, of celebrating the birth of Christ without having an exact certificate saying he was born on that day. But also, yes, there were some. There was the, the some pagan feasts that the Christians wanted to not celebrate in terms of paganism, but to celebrate the birth of Christ. So it wasn't that that they lied or that they uh, appropriated a pagan holiday. We took the pagan temples and made them into Christian churches. So there's nothing wrong with taking the day that was used for something very pagan and saying we're going to supplant it with something religious. But there is good evidence that Jesus was born in that uh, time frame. That is very cool with the calendar and the January and June. I've never heard that before. That is awesome. Thanks so much, John. We appreciate the phone call. Jan is back. We lost Jan during the first break, but she called us back in the great Commonwealth of Virginia. A first-time caller listening on the EWTN app. Jan, thanks for calling back. Welcome to the program. Thank you for the program. It's very meaningful to me. My question is, are the graces received at the communion rail right before communion is served? Could that possibly be the grace in relation to your own behavior there? Because I see so much behavior now that is inappropriate at the communion rail, and I just don't know if other people... Some other people have mentioned it, but it's not that I'm splitting hairs. It's that it's very, it's confusing. When you're up there at that moment, it should be the, well, it is. It's the moment of your life each time you receive. I mean, I, I just, I have a, I'm having a hard time seeing how receiving has morphed into looking out the window or, um, waving at your neighbor or that type of thing? Yes, well, um, it's a good question. We want to make a very important distinction here. Sacraments, like the seven sacraments, and certainly 
the Holy Eucharist is not only one of the seven sacraments, but is a sacrament par excellence, because as you rightfully point out, it is the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Christ. The sacraments um, can, fay, can, um, can um, give to us sanctifying grace, and they, and they work ex opere operato, which means uh, regardless of the recipient, as long as you're not in mortal sin, you're receiving the body, blood, soul, divinity of Christ. The sacraments, I mean the sacramentals, like uh, the rosary and, and the scapular and holy water and, and so forth, uh, they work ex opere, ex opere operantis, which means it's all contingent on the spiritual state of the person. It's not uh, sanctifying grace, it's actual grace. However, as you also touch upon, um, it's more beneficial if the person is fully engaged into what's happening. So it's still the real presence, whether someone is uh, purposely distracted or if they're goofing off or whatever. Just like if somebody, and I've seen this at weddings, where the bride and groom are acting silly, uh, or even, God forbid, the priest who's doing the wedding, but they're still validly married. But the spiritual benefit would certainly be increased if everybody was in a very prayerful and reverent uh, attitude, and the same way with going to communion at Mass. Thanks so much, GM. We appreciate the phone call, and thank you so much for listening. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. Next up is Carol in the great state of New Jersey, another first-time caller. She's listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Carol, you're on with Father Tregilio. Father Tregilio, thank you so much for your program. I just explained to the call screener that um, I converted to Catholicism a few years ago, and your program is one of the reasons I did. Um, I appreciate that. So I'm a new Catholic, and I teach RCIA. And the other night I was teaching venial versus mortal sins, and what are they? And in the book that we have, it said that the habits that you have that are venial sins, you continue to do them, they can wind up being mortal sins. And uh, I had a student ask me, you know, what does that mean? And I really could not explain it. So I'm hoping you can explain it. <laughs> okay. And you're talking about habits, you said? Yes. The ha- you know, like when I went in, I would say OMG all the time. It was a habit I had for life. And so it took me a while to break that habit. Mm-hmm. Well, certainly, as St. Thomas Aquinas points out in his Summa, Theologica, and we see it in the Catechism as well, Catechism of the Catholic Church that came out in 1992 through uh, Pope St. John Paul the Great. Um, You need full consent of the will, you need grave matter, and you have to have sufficient knowledge. And habits can reduce culpability. It does not erase it, it does not eliminate it, it does not destroy it, but it can dilute culpability so that something that's an ingrained habit like people who swear or more, you know, like more uh, offensively blaspheme, uh, the more someone does it, the more uh, habitual it becomes. It's more difficult to stop, and because it's a habit, it may be difficult to stop. Just like it's difficult to stop smoking or stop drinking or or gambling or whatever. So, uh, ha- bad habits, all right. Uh, it takes a little time, but the culpability makes it less severe in terms of subjective um, guilt as opposed to objective. Objective, it's always, you know, uh, grave matter is always grave matter. So blasphemy, 
um, you know, someone who tells lies, okay, uh, th- that's still a, a bad thing. But if someone who's a habitual prevaricator, as we uh, often refer to, uh, their culpability is going to be contingent upon, you know, uh, how difficult it is for them to stop doing this. But yes, you want someone to take this seriously. It's EWTN's Open Line Monday with Father John Tregilio. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Straight ahead, we'll talk to Paul in Saginaw, Michigan, Bernadine also in Michigan. But first, John in Pennsylvania wants to know, Father, ex opere operantis, is it contingent on the holiness of the person receiving or the person giving the blessing? Is a blessed medal only as good as the person wearing it or the priest who blessed it? Very good question. Um, Even... A priest in mortal sin not only validly celebrates the sacraments, but also uh, validly and licitly imparts the blessing upon things like rosaries and people and so forth. It's the recipient um, for the sacramentals. So a person who has a, a, a truly blessed, miraculous medal, the efficaciousness of that blessed medal is contingent upon the holiness of the recipient. Um, the priest, and this is because you know people deserve to have things blessed. You don't have to worry is Father in the state of, of, of grace or not. He, those are real blessings, whether it's the priest, the the, the bishop, or the deacon. But the efficaciousness uh, is contingent on the recipient, what spiritual state they are in, in terms of the sacramentals. For the sacraments, again, like I pointed out before. Uh, someone in mortal sin it, it commits the sin of sacrilege, but they're still validly uh, married or they validly receive Holy Communion. As advertised, Paul is up next from Saginaw, Michigan, listening on Ave Maria Radio. Paul, thanks for holding. You're on with Father John. Yeah, uh, good afternoon, gentlemen. Uh, yeah, Father. Uh, <clears throat> uh, many years ago, when I was a kid, I was told, along with many Catholics, that our chances of becoming a saint or getting into heaven were slim to none unless we became a religious, like a priest, nun, bishop, cardinal, etc. So my question to you is, <clears throat> what is your opinion of the difficulties of becoming a saint and getting into heaven as a lay person versus someone who has joined the religious uh, order? Okay. Well, I've, I know that some people have said that in the past, and they are dead wrong. Um, certainly, the Second Vatican Council talks about the universal call to holiness, but also St. Jose Maria Escriva, the founder of Opus Dei, 30 years before, uh, talked about uh, universal holiness. And even St. Augustine himself, and that's going back thousands of years, St. Augustine talks about the fact that God gives everyone sufficient grace uh, it's only efficacious for those who cooperate with it. So God wants everyone to be a saint. Mother Angelica said that so beautifully uh, on her television program. God calls all of us to become great saints. The point is that we become saints through the vocation God has given us. And 
The vocation to marriage is as holy a vocation as uh, to the priesthood or to religious life, and also the vocation uh, to the lay state, uh, to be a, a lay person, but to be single and, and not be married. Because it would make no sense if the greatest portion of the population, in, in terms of uh, just looking at Christianity, most people are lay people and most people are, are, are married. Uh, Blessed Mother and St. Joseph, the two holiest people next to Jesus, okay, were lay people. They were, Joseph wasn't a monk and Mary wasn't a nun. Uh, they were lay people. So if you crunch the numbers, why would God only give particular graces to clergy and religious if most people are lay people? It must be that God gives each person, according to their vocation, the graces they particularly need so that anyone can become a saint. Uh, your vocation is contingent upon you and how you exercise that. So I don't have any advantage in being a priest that it's easier for me to become a saint. In fact, it, it may be even be more difficult because to whom much more is given, much is expected. So I'm expected to you know, be uh, as best I can not just for my own sanctification's sake, but because I can affect so many people. And a bad priest can have just as a bad effect as a holy priest could have a, a, a good effect. That makes sense. How about you, Paul? A wonderful answer. Thank you. We appreciate the question today. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. 833-288-3986. We have another first-time caller. Bernadine is in the great state of Michigan listening on Ave Maria Radio. Bernadine, you're on with Father John Tregilio. Hello, Father. Um, my question are three of them, please, very short. In 2005, when Pope John II had passed away, um, we started reciting the Divine Mercy, my husband and I. Uh, along the way, it was very confusing because I want to know what is the difference between the Sacred Heart and the Divine Mercy images. The other one is, why do people go around, which are Catholics, go around saying, I'm going to church instead of going to Mass? Which is more appropriate? I, I feel going to Mass is more appropriate. And the other I, I caught uh, the end of one of your callers about communion. I do find that there are people that just seem very disrespectful going up to the communion rail. And uh, even afterwards, they have to shake hands or say hi or something after you received Holy Communion going down the aisle. Those are my questions. Okay. Again, let's start with the most recent one. Uh, if somebody purposely, knowingly, shows disrespect uh, by, you know, goofing off at communion time, uh, then that, that's sacrilege. But I would say the greater portion of people are just ignorant. I mean, they, they're, they're ignorant of, they, ha, they have bad manners in, in general, and they're going to have bad manners in church. And it, it may not be uh, such a, a, a gravity that it's mortal sin of, of sacrilege, but uh, it's something that priests need to address more often. Um, the Sacred Heart and Jesus's, um, you know, Divine Mercy. It's the same Jesus. <laughs> There's no difference. It's just that uh, Saint Margaret, um, uh, Margaret Mary, was the one who received the the uh, vision of Jesus and promoting the Sacred Heart, and it was Saint Faustina who the same Jesus appeared to, but then asked her to promote the devotion of Divine Mercy. Uh, it's just a difference of of emphasis, but it's the same Christ. 
and they're not in competition with each other because it's it's Jesus. <laughs> There's only one Lord, uh, one Savior. So uh, it, it's a personal taste pre- preference. Which one uh, you would like to? If you want the infinite Prague, okay, he's not in competition with Divine Mercy or the Sacred Heart. Uh, they're just it's the same Lord. And um, I forgot what the third one was. It was the difference between saying you're going to church or saying you're oh, going to mass. Yes. Well, certainly, if you're going to Mass, you should say you're going to Mass. But I know some people are going to church because they're just going to church to um, pray. They're going to make a, you know adoration before the Blessed Sacrament. Um, but, yeah, it would be more precise. But I'm glad people go, all right? Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what you call it, are you going to Mass or are you going to um, go to church? It's more important that they actually go. But uh, technically speaking, yeah, you're, you're going for a reason, but church is still a holy place because of the real presence. So even if you're not going to Mass, going to church is still a good thing. Thanks so much. We appreciate that phone call today. Next up is Jody, another first-time caller in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, listening on Oklahoma Bro- Catholic Broadcasting. Jody, you are on with Father John Tregilio. Hey, Father John, I'll be brief and succinct as I possibly can. I've been listening to your show this afternoon, and you've been mentioning... Uh, a state of grace, and I'm two years into RCIA. I'm just now letting it happen, happen organically and naturally, coming into the Catholic faith from formerly being a Jehovah's Witness. And if you would just explain to me exactly what a state of grace is, how I can maintain it, and any advice you might have in my relationship with God going forward as such. Okay, and uh, I'll be praying for you, and we're glad that you're coming into full communion with the Church, and uh, it's a wonderful thing. Um, to be in the state of grace... All right, means that one is free from mortal sin. And mortal sin, there's three things that are that are essential for there to be mortal sin. One is grave matter, that I've done something that is intrinsically evil, all right, like murder, rape, okay, um, abortion, um, you know, someone who perjures himself uh, in a court of law, uh, uh, someone who shows grave disrespect, all right, uh, to say the Holy Eucharist. That's grave matter, but in addition to the thing itself that's being done, there's two other criteria, grave matter plus full consent of the will, that you did this freely and willingly, and also that you knew it was wrong. And if all three are in play, then a person's in what we call mortal sin. They need to go to confession, if they're uh, a Catholic Christian. And once they go to confession, they then enter is the state of grace. Sanctifying grace fills the heart. Whenever we commit a mortal sin, it chases out sanctifying grace, and we need that grace to come back into us to make us holy. That's why it's called sanctifying grace, and that's why Jesus gave us the sacrament of penance, reconciliation, confession, uh, to restore that. So to be in the state of grace doesn't mean that one is perfect. What it means is I am free of mortal sin that I know of. Uh, that's why when you go to confession, a person says, for these sins and all my sins, in case there's any that I was unsure of or that I forgot, then absolution wipes them all away and you become as pure as you were the day you are baptized. We've still got time for your phone calls on this first Monday of Advent. Uh, pick up the phone and give us a call at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. Uh, next up is Vincent in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, listening on Spirit Catholic Radio's app. Vincent, you're on with Father John. Hey, good afternoon, Father John. How are you? I'm fine. Hey, I was just wondering if you could uh, keep me in your prayers 
Um, I'm discerning the uh, permanent diaconate and on my way to becoming an instituted acolyte. Um, and I was just hoping for, uh, for extra prayer support out there. Oh, absolutely, because I can tell you I am very edified by the permanent deacons I've had in, in my priesthood. I've had wonderful deacons in the parish. I've known uh, many deacons uh, along the way. Um, permanent diaconate is a wonderful blessing in the church. Uh, it, it goes along, obviously, with the transitional diaconate, those men who then become priests. But the permanent deacons have a special part to play in the church, both the East and the West. And so I want you to assure you of my prayers. Hang in there, persevere, and God bless you. Any tips for Vincent as his, as his discernment, uh, discernment <laughs> continues? Uh, just keep praying and ask the Holy Spirit uh, to give you the, the gift of perseverance because the devil's going to be threatened by another ordained minister. So he's going to sh uh, shake you up a little bit. Uh, d don't buckle under. Don't... Uh, you know, get overwhelmed because that's a sign of a real vocation that, that uh, if you're a threat to the evil one, uh, you're going to have a few doubts. You're going to have some difficulties, but it's perseverance. Like we, I say to the guys here at the seminary, I would say the same thing to those men studying for the permanent diaconate. Thanks so much, Vincent, and you will uh, be in the prayers of many of our listeners as well. Maria is in Newton, Mass., listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Maria, you're on with Father Trujillo. Hello, Father. Hello. Thank you for taking my, thank you for taking my call. Um, I have a friend who was away from the Mass during the whole COVID experience, and um, it took a while for her to come back. Uh, during that time, she also got a puppy that um, is now a full-grown dog, and uh, not but not good at staying home alone. So <clears throat> I saw my friend at Mass the other day, and she had her dog with her in Mass. And afterwards, I did sort of discreetly ask if her dog was a therapy dog, and if, or if she'd become a dog, a therapy dog, and she and the answer was no. And then I suggested that she ought to check with our father, our priest, about having dogs in mass. Um, and it was a little awkward and difficult because I'm very glad she's back at mass, but I felt I, I personally just could I didn't like that the dog was there. It didn't seem, didn't seem right to me. And I, I don't want, I, I don't want to be the scold, but at the same time, I want my friend to understand the sanctity of the mass. And if I'm wrong, I'm, perfectly happy to be wrong and find out I am, but I was looking for some clarity about that, and I don't want to mention it to our priest, because I've left it in her hands to try, just to hopefully have her have that conversation. I don't know if she will, but I don't want to be the one to do that, because uh, I, I think that could be very pro problematic as well. Okay. Um, yeah, that's a lot unpacked there, but I'm glad you called. Um in the old Code of Canon Law, 1917 Code, uh, animals were forbidden to be in the sanctuary. Um, they were not prohibited from coming into the church because obviously sometimes they wander in. Um, but for people to bring uh, uh, a dog um, is allowed uh, 
this particular case where this person has been away because of the COVID, um, yeah, I, I, if I was the pastor, I'd make a prudential judgment and say, okay, for a while, but, um, you know, this is sacred space, it is church, could they tie the dog up uh, in the vestibule or outside? Maybe. Um, so you have to t- take this delicately. But yes, we want people to realize that this is something special. Just like if you were out in general public, there's certain places where we're going to say no pets allowed uh, unless it is a certified um, you know, therapy animal. But I was on a plane the other day and people are bringing all kinds of animals with them and they're dressing them up in those little suits saying, oh, it's a therapy um, you know, uh, not just dogs and cats, but one lady had a ferret, one had a squirrel. Um, I heard some guy try to get an ostrich onto the plane. Uh, you know, it gets a little uh, peculiar after a while. But um, again, you want to take this step by step. And we don't want church to be just like every other place because it is sacred uh, space. It's not to say that animals are not uh, holy in the eyes of God. I mean, he created them. But they're 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 not the same as human beings, and uh, we we want to make a distinction. Even though there's a, lot of, I'm a cat owner, and I, you know I would not uh, be bringing my cat into the church. Doesn't mean it doesn't sneak in there every now and then when I was a pastor. God bless you, Maria. We appreciate the phone call today. Uh, Catholic answers live tonight and every night, six p.m. Eastern time. Tonight, tips for defending the faith with their uh, great apologist, Trent Horn. That's Catholic Answers Live tonight, 6 p.m. Eastern time, right here on EWTN Radio. Next up is Mary in the great state of Illinois, listening on Covenant Radio. Mary, you're on with Father Trujillo. Hi, Father. Thank you for taking my call. I don't really have a question as much as, um, you know, I... I know that women are born with all of the eggs that they're going to have in their ovaries. So my thought was that St. Anne had, um, was pregnant with Mary, so she would have had in her already the egg that um, would have been conceived, would be part of the, con- the egg that, was, that conceived Jesus. Do you, know, do you know what I mean? So like... She- St. Anne would have already had part of Jesus in her before Jesus was born or conceived. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't think the Church would see it in that way, um, in the same way because, I mean, biologically, you know, we, we certainly, through DNA um, and chromosomes, you know, we, I inherited some of my grandparents uh, in me. But uh, I think... It's true that part of the mother uh, is dwells within the child, but in terms of the grandparents, I don't think medical science would would go that far um, because it's the the egg and the sperm from the mother and father that you know uh, is how the human being is is created at the natural level. Although, and and particularly because Saint Anne was so old, she was thought to be barren. Um, it sort of it is a miraculous thing that. Like like with um, Sarah being you know thought to be barren with Abraham and she got gave birth to Isaac, um, was that egg always present within her or did God just you know miraculously uh, create one in her? I you know church has never defined that in particular, but I wouldn't want to 
because then you could then go backwards in the timing and say that all these other people had a part of Jesus, and we certainly want to want to make that the case because the incarnation is a particular moment in time and space where the second person of the Trinity took on flesh. And even from a biological perspective, one hundred percent of the DNA that was generated in that child came from the parents. Uh, now, was yes. were, were the parents' DNAs influenced by their parents? Well, sure they were, but one hundred percent of the genetic material for that child came from the directly from the parents. Thank you. We appreciate that call today, Mary. Next up is Robert in Cincinnati, Ohio, listening on Sacred Heart Radio. Robert, you're on with Father John. Uh, I have a question um, from listening to Catholic Radio, because I've heard there that uh, in every cell of the body we have the person. And uh, that doesn't sound like it's a doctrine of the Church. Where would they get that? Okay, well, it, it goes back to um, the ancient philosophers like Aristotle uh, and Plato, but particularly Aristotle. Um, the human soul is in every part of you that's alive and that's connected to you. So my soul is keeping my, the head on my hair alive, uh, my fingernails, okay? So my soul isn't just floating around in the middle of my chest as sometimes when I was in third grade, uh, Sister Gertrude talked about, you know, your soul being like a milk bottle and, you know, it's filled with, with milk. It means you're in the state of grace. But your soul is, the your personhood is in all of you, the extension of all your parts. So if someone steps on my little toe, that's me. Someone pulls my hair, that's me. And the me, the identification of the I, is the person. So we say that the person or the soul is in every part of the body that's connected. Once you, you clip your fingernails or cut your hair or, God forbid, you have to, an amputation, that's separated from the soul and it's no longer alive. And so your, your soul, your personhood is not in that, you know, uh, unanimated part of you anymore. Thank you, Robert. We appreciate the phone call. We can probably still squeeze in your call at 833-288-EWTN. Next up is Jim, another first-time caller in the great state of Ohio, listening on Sacred Heart Radio. Jim, you're on with Father Trujillo. Uh, hello. Hello, Father. Thank you for taking my call. Um, a question came up over the weekend, over the holidays, just talking with family. And I don't even remember how it came up, but it was all kind of about, you know, uh, the devil and Satan, and you know how they goes by many different names. You know, I guess both in the Bible and in in, in lay terms. And I, the question was kind of raised: Do they all kind of apply to the same thing, or do they point on like Lucifer, Belzebub, devil, Satan? I mean, they're all describing the same biblical thing, or the different references, and you know. You know, based on how the term is being used. Yes, um, certainly Lucifer uh, then became the devil, also sometimes known as Satan, the contender. Uh, those are all synonymous. Uh, Beelzebub uh, is considered a, a separate entity, a separate demon uh, than Lucifer. Asmodeus is another one. That's why in the um, in the Roman ritual, when the priest uh, performs an exorcism, uh, one of the questions. He directs to the possessed person, uh, to the demon that's in that person, uh, what is your name, so that he can cast it out in the name of Christ. 
that he needs to know the, 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 the demon's name. So, yes, uh, Lucifer, Satan, the devil typically are the same. Uh, other demons that are referred to, like we see in the book of Tobit, uh, the demon Asmodeus, or as Jesus in the gospel, uh, he was accused of being in league with Beelzebub. Um, most theologians say that those are separate entities, subservient, obviously, uh, to Lucifer or the devil or Satan, who is, he's the one in charge. And the rest of them are like, sort of like his generals and all the way further down the line. Uh, next, we go to Larry in Omaha, Nebraska, listening on Spirit Catholic Radio. Larry, just about a minute and a half left with Father John. What's your question today? Uh, what's the Catholic view in talking to someone that believes in the rapture? Okay, uh, the Church has not condemned it, but it doesn't endorse it. So the point is that um, when people say that it is going to happen exactly the way it's been portrayed in people, uh, in movies and literature... We say, well, no. In fact, the word rapture, if you were to ask Martin Luther himself, John Calvin, Zwingli, Huss, or any of the reformers, they wouldn't know what you're talking about because the concept of the rapture, as is described in contemporary literature, uh, is a 19th century invention. Uh, and this fact of someone being left behind and a person being taken, that's certainly in the scriptures. But the fact that the people left behind are worse off than the ones taken um, scripture doesn't necessarily imply that the ones being taken are taken to glory. Uh, if you're still alive and you're left behind, you still have the opportunity of repenting and having your sins forgiven. Whereas if you're the one who is taken, it depends on what your state and your spiritual state was at the moment that you're taken. But the Hollywood and, and the literature, you know, it's sometimes they use a Star Trek episode where people's bodies disappeared and their clothes were left behind. Uh, then they move, use that into a, into the movie. So the church does not condemn, it does not endorse. Father, would you leave us with a blessing? Benedica vos omnipotens Deus, Pater, et Filius, et Spiritus Sanctus. Amen. Amen. On behalf of our host, Father John Tregilio, our producer, Michael McCall, our call screener, Mr. Matt Gubensky, and our social media maven, Mr. Jeff Burson. I'm Jack Williams. Thanks for helping us kick off this first week of Advent with EWTN's Open Line Monday. Uh, tomorrow, back at it again, Father Wade Menezes talking faith, family, and fellowship on an EWTN Open Line Tuesday. Until we get together then, God bless.